That's little Jeff. <laughs> little Jeff's married and has three kids. He walked into prayer time. He said, I said, which one are you? He said, well, I'm Jeff. I'm like, oh, wow. Everybody keeps growing up and getting older, and I don't. That's what's amazing about uh, life as it marches on. Ronnie was, we were in there praying, and I, I introduced, well, I was introduced to the worship leaders, and I already forgot your names. I apologize, but just give me a couple years. It'll stick. They had, um, Ronnie said, I remember Patrick when he was just a little guy. And I said, I remember Ronnie when I used to call him old. And he was, like, younger than me back in that day. How's that happen? I don't know. But it's, it's a tremendous joy to be back. I've been looking forward to seeing some of your old faces for a while. And uh, it's fun. It's fun to be back with family at Oak Grove. And a lot of history, a lot of time has passed. And the Lord continues to keep some of you stuck here in cement galoshes and others. And it's fun to see not as many gray hairs as there used to be here. There's some young folks coming. And that's just awesome. Uh, but I did want to give a little bit of an update because you haven't seen us for a while, and maybe some of you have had the misfortune of running into us every now and again. But we are still alive and kicking, and we're down in Cottonwood. Becky and I will be celebrating year 24 of marriage in December, and um, that's awesome. And um, she is a blessed woman. And we, <laughs> we have um, also been uh, blessed with our two boys. Jared It will be 21 next month. And he is at Chico State, majoring in liberal studies, and he wants to be a teacher, probably minor in special ed. And he just thinks it'd be cool to be able to teach and coach. And I said, yeah, it's pretty cool. I know a little bit about that. And um, so he's living with three other guys down there, neat Christian guys, that um, they have a townhouse together. And, and he's working at Papa Murphy's and um, supporting himself and going to school. And um, it's neat to see him and uh, growing up. He's done playing baseball now, and he misses that, but... Uh, Joshua is here today, um, about not quite as tall as Andrew. Where'd Andrew go? Um, but uh, he's uh, going to Shasta College. He'll be 19 um, in December and uh, working just pretty much almost full-time. He's taking full load of classes and working uh, at, at Kent's Grocery um, about 30 to 35 hours a week and uh, taking a full load of classes. And so he, he loves his job sometimes, and other times it's a job. Uh, but it's great. So if you go to Kent's to go get some propane, he's certified. He'll hook you up and uh, hasn't had an accident yet with that. So that's good. Uh, and then um, and Naomi, our little adopted one, is uh, she'll be six in January. She is uh, amazing. It's funny. Becky and I are coaching. You six soccer. And U6 soccer, when I got into it, was not six. It's U6. I have four and five-year-olds. And as I teach, I've been continuing to teach at Cottonwood Creek Charter. Now this is our ninth year as the charter school. And having four and five-year-olds after teaching 14-year-olds all day long, and then you have four and five-year-olds, it is a joy. <laughs> I mean, it's fun. And if it wasn't fun, we would, somebody would die. <laughs> because it's, there's no coaching with four-year-olds. It's not coaching. Uh, it's part parenting, 
and, and blowing my whistle and, you know, trying to get them just, but it's so much fun. We've had a joy. So Naomi, we didn't, we weren't soccer people. We were basketball and, and little league and baseball people. And so, but Naomi, she can't do little league baseball. She can't stand in a field in one place. We got to get her on soccer field just running. And so that was her. That's her personality. And this weekend, we've kind of been hanging out. It's been fun. Uh, actually, Naomi's half-sister uh, is here. And Paige Mabus has been with us this weekend. And Paige is a senior at Enterprise. And uh, so that's kind of fun that Naomi's half-sister. And so Naomi's running around, my sister, my sister. And uh, so she's got a sister that uh, they share the same birth mom. And um, that's really cool because she's in Cottonwood that we all um, kind of see each other off and on. Um, throughout time, but uh, to have that relationship there and the sibling and, um, but anyway, that's, I think we're caught up a little bit, um, not going to spend too much time, but I will talk more about myself as, um, as we get into God's word, um, and I'm just going to, you know, because I'm with family, I feel like this is, I'm going <clears> to, <throat> we're going to, we're going to open up a little bit more and share a little bit more um, from my heart about what's going on in our lives, we're going to look into um, always when you look into historical narratives like Samuel, um, there's some challenges in terms of, you know, expositorily preaching through uh, some real amazing truths. And the amazing truth that we're going to rediscover and continue to be reminded of, as Paul and Peter both say, I don't hesitate to remind you of these things, and these things are God is in control. In case you forgot. In case you're at a point where we can forget these things because we like taking control. God is in control, and that's what I continue to be in prayer about always in my own life still, um, because you think at 48, you got things figured out, and um, some things I have, and other things I continue to walk by faith, but we all need to be there. Um, but I wanted to go into a, a bit of a testimony. I want to intertwine that with the text this morning, but some of you recall that eight years ago in our lives, um, we had some chaos, and it kind of all started here, and you guys all had a front row seat to some of that chaos in our lives. The charter school that I was working for decided to pull the plug and shut down, and so I was out of a job. Subsequently, out of a job, you start making modified payments on your home, and then those modified payments turn into a foreclosure when somebody comes to the door and says, your house is going up for public auction in two months, here you go. And it's a sweet little old man who was a veteran, and I had no idea. So we lost our home. We lost everything that we had had at that point that we had worked for. Um, and we ended up moving to Cottonwood. And um, we adopted little Naomi from that whole circumstance, which was quite an ordeal. When a woman came up to us a month after being in Cottonwood Church and said, Becky, do you happen to know anybody that would like to adopt a baby girl that's yet to be born. And Becky came home and said to me, do we know anybody? I said, yeah. We, you know we know somebody. And so we started that process, met the birth mother, and before she was, uh, while she was pregnant, and went through this independent adoption process. So Naomi came about through all of that. And, and would I trade it for anything? No, probably not. But why did it happen? I miss that house today. Josh said, Dad, if you can have any house you'd want. Just the other day, he said, I said, I want my old house back. It was just, it was ours. It was Ronnie Rourke, and it was Ronnie Gulak, and it was so much heart and soul and love, and it was our place, and it was our first place, and it was our property, and it was all that stuff. But um, it's ancient history. It's gone. Somebody else owns it. I drive by it going to camp now, and 
scowl. <laughs> You're in my house. Uh, but we, we enjoyed that place. But why did it play out in that manner? Why did God send us to Cottonwood under those circumstances? I still ask those questions. Um, why couldn't we have simply just kept the job? Why couldn't we have simply just kept our house and then had a woman say, hey, do you want to adopt a baby? Yeah. And we got her. And we got the house. And we still had everything. Why the circumstances behind how it all played out. I don't know all the, the whys, but I do know that it happened the way it did, no fault of our own. Four years ago in September, I had a harebrained idea, some of you know quite well about. I have a lot of harebrained ideas. I have job ADD. But I wanted to open a retail brick and mortar pack and wrap store called the shipping store. Well, Becky wanted to call it the shipping store. I wanted to call it something different. So you can talk to me about that later, but I thought it had been cute and creative. Four years ago. So literally, knowing the failures that we had when we opened this store, when we did, um, knowing the failures coming out of, um, I truly, truly wanted to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that what we were doing was following God's leading in our lives. I, I, I mean... I truly wanted to get out of the way and see God work and open doors that I just didn't want to try to manufacture things on my own. We do that, especially as men. We do that. We go, we fix, we build, we want to create. We just do that. And we sometimes say, oh, this, this is what I'm going to do, and I'm going to make it, and then God come along for the ride. And I didn't want to do that. And, and, and I can tell you that to this day, I truly have a clear conscience to state that we let go and let God. I really felt at peace about opening this store that we had had, and that was four years ago, September. And it was almost super spiritual, one of those things that God tested us along the way, and I felt like, hey, we were following, we were patient. There are circumstances that I can share with you, I won't go into detail. But, um, but less than a year after opening the store, my really only main encouragement in the whole process, my mentor, my business mind in this, was my brother. Got a phone call that he was in a boating accident, and I drove down the highway to the Bay Area. I walked into the hospital 11.22 p.m. on March 6th. And at 11.19, my brother died. And he was my man in this process. And I never really had a relationship with my older brother like I did throughout this process of building this business and becoming friends and becoming partners and becoming kindred spirits. And we talked and we he shared because he had his MBA in business administration, and it was just a, an amazing experience. But now, after a year in this business, not knowing what I'm doing, relying so heavily upon him, now he's gone. And then three years later, we had a couple interested in buying the store. We thought, we're going to get out of this. Becky and I are work, running this thing six days a week. I'm a full-time teacher. She's a full-time mom. We're finally done running this thing six days a week. Uh, Monday through Saturday, and we had this owners. We had a purchase agreement signed. It was on a Saturday, and on a Sunday, we were leaving for our first family vacation in three years. And, that, and it was going to enter escrow on Monday. So we were getting ready, and on Sunday morning, our realtor calls us and says, the buyer's backed out. I was going to sell this thing for twice what we owed, Money in the bank, two boys starting college. Thank you, Lord, for 
allowing us to invest in this, and now we're going to have this financial profit from it. The buyers backed out. And then five months later, we ended up selling it, liquidated it for half of what we owed. And the extraordinary financial hardship we've been dealing with since then. You know, we've been there. You've been there. Some of us. And we ask, why? I mean, I, I stand here before you, but it's my brothers and sisters still, and say, why? Why? And I struggle, and I continue to give it over to the Lord. I say, where did I go wrong? Why would God create opportunity for us and our family only for it to end in such financial hardship? It's a disaster. And why, why, why? That's, I just, I'm serious. I'm right there. Maybe I did really, truly give lip service to God. I don't know. Maybe I never truly submitted to making a godly decision for our family just because I should have. Just because I could have done it, maybe I should not have done it. I don't know. Maybe I disobeyed God in the first place by borrowing money. Maybe God says, don't borrow money. And I said, well, yeah, but it's business. You borrow money in business. But yet God provided the, the means to borrow the money through Christian investors. And, and it's been quite an experience to be held accountable to the body of Christ through finances. And it doesn't feel good. <laughs> but praise God for it. I genuinely believe that I wanted the Lord to guide us in this process. And I felt he did. And there were times in the past that I know I didn't. So I wanted to do that. Well, so we come to our passage this morning, and two things stand out to me in 1 Samuel chapter 29 that Jeff read for us. One, God has a plan for David's life. And two, God has a plan for David's life. No matter how badly David screwed it up, no matter the circumstances, God was still in control. I love Psalm 103, 19. Mark it in your Bibles. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his sovereignty rules over all. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his sovereignty rules over all. Let's pray before we look into our passage. Father, thank you for, thank you for the text of the Old Testament. Thank you for your sovereignty on display through the life of David. Thank you that even though your people cried out, we want a king. No, you don't. Yes, we do. You gave it anyway. And yet you said your plan was still not thwarted. And I know that no matter the circumstance in our lives this morning, your plans will not be thwarted. We have been called into your care as a child of yours, and I know that every one of us, when we live in submission to the lordship of Christ, will, no matter what decisions we make as we go, we try to be faithful, but Lord, things happen, and we know that we can trust in you. So we thank you for this morning, and as we look back in history, just teach us and remind us about your sovereign control in all of this. Continue to remind us, Lord, as we go to the polls and as we find out the results in a couple of weeks that you are sovereign and in control. And so we look forward to what you're going to do and what you're going to teach in Christ's name. Amen. 
So we have to look back and remember where David is. Sometimes looking at these texts, they're out of place. We don't understand context. So we have to find context and why it's there. Otherwise, we really kind of are flailing. So we're jumping right into a really interesting position in David's life. Previously in chapter 28, just the chapter before, Saul just got finished speaking to a spirit medium. He consulted a witch to have him bring Samuel back from the dead to give him advice about his charge with the Philistines because he was afraid for his life. Saul was in such a bad place that he consulted a spirit medium. And Samuel did come back from the dead and speak to him, and it's a fascinating picture, so you can read that in 1 Samuel chapter 28. But turn back with me now to chapter 27. And in 1 Samuel 27, I want to look at verses 1 through 7. So we have Saul just consulting a spirit medium, and David now is on the run from Saul. And look at where David is in 1 Samuel 27 and verse 1. And then David said to himself, Now I will perish one day by the hand of Saul. He realized that Saul has been after him, and he's going to die by the hand of Saul. He just has come to this realization, no matter what God has told him in the past about he is the next heir to the throne, he has convinced himself that Saul will take him out. There is nothing better for me than to escape the hand of the Philistines. Saul then will despair of searching for me anymore in all the territory of Israel, and I will escape from his hand. Verse 2, so David arose and crossed over, he and the 600 men who were with him, to Achish, the son of Moak, the king of Gath. And David lived with Achish at Gath, he and his men, each with his household, even David with his two wives, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the Carmelitess, Nabal's widow. And now it was told that David had, to, had fled to Gath. Okay, So Saul finds out, told Saul that David had fled to Gath, so he no longer searched for him. See, David's plan was working. I'm going to flee. I'm going to go to the land of the Philistines, and Saul will stop searching for me. It's working out. Verse 5, then David said to Achish, I know I have found favor in your sight. Let them give me a place in one of the cities in the country that I may live there, for why should your servant live in the royal city with you? So Achish gave him Ziklag that day. Therefore, Ziklag had belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. In verse 7, the number of days David lived in the country of the Philistines was a year and four months. So this takes us now into chapter 29. David is living in Ziklag with his 600 men. He, uh, King Achish allowed him to conquer this territory. He's been there for over a year, almost a year and a half, living in the land of the Philistines. And so then we see chapter 29, verses 1 through 11, which Jeff had read for us. So we are on the cusp of war. The Philistine army is about to go to war with the Israelites, and Saul is at death's door. And this isn't the first time, though, that we know of David with Achish. If you look back at chapter 21, 1 Samuel 21, fleeing from Saul, David went to Ahimelech for food and weapons. And in verse 10 of chapter 21, he says, Oh, said David, there's no sword like that. Give that one to me. And at that, David shot out of there, running for his life, the text says. And he went to Achish, king of Gath. First time with king Achish. 
in the land of the Philistines. When the servants of Achish saw him, they said, Can this be David, the famous David? Is this the one they sing about in their dances? David had a reputation. David's reputation was, isn't this the guy? I mean, Saul kills his thousands, but David his ten thousands. David had a reputation as this warrior. And it spread throughout the land. And the people under King Achish said, isn't this David? Isn't this that guy? And if you remember the text and the story in verse 12 of chapter 21, David realized that he'd been recognized and he panicked. And what did he do? He started acting like a madman. He started spitting on his beard and getting all crazy. And Achish said, get this loon out of here. I got enough crazies in my town. And so he did. He escaped. One of the predominant theological themes in 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel really is just is God's sovereignty. No matter what decisions David made, God is still sovereign and still in control and his plan was not going to be thwarted. So with David, it's really particularly evident. I find David's decisions quite fascinating and relatable. When chapter 24, let's not forget that Saul actually said to David in chapter 24, verse 20, he says, now behold, I know that you will surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hand. This is Saul admitting this to David in front of David. At one of those points when David decided to spare his life, which there were several. David was anointed Saul's successor while Saul was still on the throne. And most scholars realistically think from the time of his anointing with his father, Jesse, and that whole story back in 1 Samuel, in the early part of 1 Samuel, it's been five to ten years once David's anointing happened and when he actually took the, 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 the kingship. It's five to ten years, at least five and possibly ten, that he's been on the run from Saul in fear of his life. We know that back from 1 Samuel 16. So it's significant to look back. Because we, we come to a place in which David has been living in the land of the Philistines. David has been living in the land of the Philistines. That's where you go, this is remarkable to me. David, the giant killer. Goliath, the Philistine. He has been living in the land of the Philistines. The anointed king of Israel is literally living, is taking up residence in the land of his enemy. That's fascinating to me. Sometimes we get ourselves in a pretty awkward, sticky situation. It's unpleasant. And all kinds of problems and difficulties arise. David was in a tough spot. And he had been a loyal servant to King Achish from the day he deserted Israel. So he was about to march. I mean, get a picture of this. He was about to march against the very people over whom God has chosen him to serve as king. That's fascinating. And his men were marching at the rear of the Philistine army, the position of a king's personal bodyguard. Even more fascinating. How is it even possible 
How is it even possible? Why does God appoint a man to be the next king only to have him align himself to go to war with the very people he's supposed to be the king over? Psalm 25 was written by David. Prior to all this, David even writes, I hate the assembly of evildoers, and I will not sit with the wicked. Matthew Henry, the old commentator, says, David used to hate the congregation of evildoers. However, now he comes to be among them. He is about to engage as an enemy of the Israel of God and a traitor of his own country. This would make his own people despise him. This would make his own people hate him and unanimously, I'm sure, oppose him to ever stepping into the throne. I mean, what was he thinking? It's crazy, but God is sovereign and God is in control. We know the term Jehovah Jireh, right? Jehovah Jireh is a term for, for God in the Hebrew and it comes out of Genesis 22 and 14, when Abraham was provided the, the, the sacrifice in lieu of his son, right? Abraham says, Jehovah Jireh, God will provide. But that term in the Hebrew is very interesting, Jireh. It, it literally means um, seed. It translates seed to seed. It, it seeds. God seeds. And it couldn't be a more fitting description, really, of God the provider because God sees that which we do not see. God is in control. He sees the outcome. He knows where it's going. A man plans his own way, but the Lord directs his steps. Proverbs 16:9. You know, we don't know how David came to the decision to go live with his enemy, but we know why he did. And I guess he'd rather take his chances with the Philistines and take up arm against, than take up arms against his own, um, 